prayer, and then we'll get into our message for the night. Father, we thank you for your precious, holy, written word, and we thank you for the opportunity to share it. I believe, Lord, that you have things that you want to say to us tonight, and I ask you to help us to be ready, that our hearts will be open and receptive to what the Holy Spirit says to us through your word. And I thank you, Lord, for confirming your word with signs following, that you always are prepared to confirm your word. So, Lord, we don't just listen for information only, but we listen for inspiration and for faith to come so that we may act on your word and receive the benefits that it promises to us and has spoken to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. In both the Old and in the New Testaments, we see that numerous people were healed supernaturally by the power of God. Under the Old Covenant, under the New Covenant, there are various circumstances and various methods by which they received their healing. It's interesting if you do a study of it at how many different people and many different circumstances and how many different situations uh, were turned around, were changed by the healing power of Jesus. But there are two primary common denominators in all these miraculous and supernatural manifestations. Two common denominators, whether you're talking about Old Testament or New, whether you're talking about in the ministry of Jesus or in the ministry of the apostles, whether you're talking about under the law or under grace, any kind of of, um, separation you want to make, there are two primary common denominators. And those two denominators are faith and power. Faith and power. I'm going to go to the book of Acts chapter 6 tonight, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 7. The story here is the church growing to the point that there needed to be help in various ministries that were needed to be done for the saints there in Jerusalem. It's important to also understand as you read this kind of a passage that these dear Jewish believers were being ostracized and excommunicated from the synagogues and from probably many of their Jewish families and especially the older people, the widows, they were having very difficult times. There were no social safety nets like we have today. There was no welfare program or anything like that. And so they had to quickly come up with a way that they could take care of the needs of the elderly, those who were not uh, young enough to go out and work anymore, take care of their needs. And so they were doing it, and there was um, some friction that developed. I mean, imagine that, some friction in church uh, among Christians. But there was some friction that developed because the Jewish people and the non-Jewish converts, there was, there was a thinking that things weren't being handled equally, that people weren't being treated fairly. And so uh, the answer was those original seven deacons. And you know, don't you, that deacon means minister. It means servant, actually. And that's what ministry is. Whether I minister in the pulpit or whether you minister in any capacity within the church body, we're all ministers. We are all servants. And deacons uh, were originally determined to be used to help serve in areas that the apostles just did not have the time to do. 
Because in verse 2, it said, they made the statement, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It certainly didn't mean that they didn't know how to do it or were too good to do it. It just means they had a different assignment. And if you know anything about preaching and teaching the word of God, it's not something that can be done effectively without thought, without prayer, without study, without meditation, without reading and preparation. And that, of course, takes time. And so there was a division of labor, and that's what these first deacons were about and what they were doing. And so uh, they chose out their seven men, you know, and it gives us their names in verse uh, 5. They set them before the apostles, and, and they prayed over them and laid hands on them. And then verse 7, we pick up there and read. It says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And I'll just point this out. Isn't it amazing how things work so well when you do things God's way? And also, this is a very good uh, instruction for any local church, including ours, that God's not going to send growth that you're not prepared to receive. Churches grow when they prepare for growth and want growth. You know, I've been in churches, they really didn't want growth. They might have thought they did, and when some came, I've seen people get upset, you know, because things happen that didn't normally happen. And so... Uh, you have to prepare your heart for growth. And you always have to keep in mind that's the heart of God. You know, me and my four and no more is not a godly attitude. I just want to be comfortable, make sure I got my favorite seat, make sure it doesn't go too long, and, and I want to be able to check off the boxes this week. That's not, that's not New Testament Christianity at all. Amen. And so these people were on fire. They were hungry. They, they, they were doing something. The Great Commission was in operation. And so uh, the word of God, uh, the number of the disciples rather, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And even, it says, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now you're doing something when Jewish priests get converted. Uh, it takes more than an intellectual argument to get that done. And what I want you to see is this was a supernatural church. The next verse just gives us confirmation of this. It says, and Stephen, now he's one of those seven men, and Stephen, full of faith and power. I want you to notice that phrase, full of faith and power. We'll say that again, full of faith and power, not just one or the other, but both full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. These are the two primary common denominators, faith and power. As a matter of fact, faith plus power equals miracles. That's the miracle equation. I'm not the greatest at math. I never did like math classes. I took Algebra 1, Algebra 2, and Geometry, and I didn't learn hardly anything. I slept through part of it, and they passed me anyway. I don't know if they just wanted to get rid of me or what, but, um, but I don't know much about all that, but I do know about the miracle equation. Amen. Faith plus power equals miracles, and it's 
the equation that still works today. So we want to take a little bit of time tonight and look at this. And as I do, if you're a good Bible student, then you're probably going to think of places in the Bible where this would apply. And you're going to see that's what was going on there, and that's good. So let's talk first about the first half of that equation. Let's talk about faith. Now, uh, you know we've already been talking about the law of faith on Sunday mornings for the last several Sunday messages that I've done. And, of course, I would encourage you to listen over and over to that until you get that information in your heart and mind so that you can be a doer of the word. Because James 1.25 tells us it's the doer of the word that's blessed in his deed. A lot of people know a lot of things that's not working for them. You can know things accurately and still not have the benefit of it. You have to be a doer of the word. And so uh, I'm not going to take a long time with this tonight, but, but we'll say a few things because it's very important to understand. Faith, as we know, is a spiritual product. It's a spiritual force. It's a spiritual commodity, I, I call it sometimes. It is a spiritual product of hearing and believing God's Word. Faith doesn't come by fasting. Faith doesn't come by doing without certain pleasures, you know, like some groups give up certain things for Lent, you know. I, I could easily uh, give up grits <laughs> and chicken livers for Lent. But I don't think that would make me too holy. <laughs> so um, faith doesn't come by giving up some pleasure. Faith doesn't come by fasting. Faith doesn't come by praying. Now it's interesting because prayer absolutely needs faith to work. But you cannot pray yourself into faith. Faith has to come first. And then your prayers work. Let me say it this way. Faith makes prayer work. Prayer doesn't necessarily make faith work. And so, where does faith come from? Well, it comes from your Bible. This book I'm holding in my hand. That's what Romans 10, 17 tells us. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So your Bible is the primary source of the faith that you will ever have, and it's the faith that both pleases and receives from God. Faith gives us that ability. First, to please God, and then secondly, to receive from God. So hearing the Word, Romans 10, 17, is essential. It's absolutely essential. And so whether you're going along in your car, and, and I'm not saying you have to do this every trip you take, and I'm not saying you have to do it the whole journey. You know, if you're going on a trip for five hours, I'm not saying you have to do it for five hours. But wouldn't it be a good thing maybe to practice on a regular basis that when you're in your car, you listen to the, somebody read the Word of God to you? Now, I've been for many years a fan of, um, of mysteries, you know, I like, uh, I like the old, I'm an older person, so I, I like the old-fashioned ones, you know, the Agatha Christie stuff and some of the others, you know, I'm trying to think of another author or two. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, Agatha Christie created a character called Hercule Poirot. He was a Belgian 
a policeman who ended up in England and became a private detective. And of course, he was just amazing and eccentric and uh, just figured all kinds of good stuff out. Anyway, it was so popular that uh, I think this, they ran for 13 seasons before it ended. It was very, very popular. Now, if you don't like that kind of stuff, you don't care how popular it is, and you don't care what I'm saying right now, except, <laughs> except what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, the man who played him reads the NIV. And, uh, I, and I'm saying this for a reason, because if you'd like to be blessed by hearing a great voice read Scripture, then go into the YouVersion Bible, click on the NIV UK, and you will hear someone with a marvelous voice and a wonderful accent read the Word of God. And there are nights when Glenn and I go to sleep listening to Poirot read us the Bible. <laughs> Amen. And we figured out who done it. Jesus did it. The good. The good. Amen. But anyway, my whole point is, there are ways, there are ways that you can hear the Word of God when you're driving in the car, when you lie down at night, maybe when you're doing your housework. Uh, you know, just crank it up. Remember what you used to do before you got saved? Remember how loud you liked your music? And remember how you'd listen to it at the oddest times and maybe late at night or whatever? Well, just do the same thing with the Word. Do the same thing. And, and, and uh, I love music. I think you probably would know that. I love music. I love beautiful music. I love good singing. I love uh, strong voices, soft voices, harmonies, uh, great soloists. I, I love all kinds of different music. But I'm going to tell you something. You need to be very careful about your music because some of it sounds good, but it's embalmed with unbelief. Not everything that's on, quote, Christian radio is worth listening to. Just like not everybody who's preaching on Christian TV is worth listening to. You have to be very discerning. You say, well, preacher, you sound like you're really picky. You better believe it. When I learned that what I hear determines what I believe, then I'm very picky about what I hear. Very picky about who I listen to. And so uh, we have to be very careful that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, we don't have our faith in the wrong place or the wrong person. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 14, and I'll show you a biblical example of a supernatural healing that illustrates exactly what I'm talking about right now. Acts chapter 14, and I want to begin reading with verse number 6. <clears throat> Acts chapter 14 and verse 6. Now, this is uh, talking about Paul's ministry. It says, They were aware of it and fled. That's Paul and uh, who was it by this time? Barnabas, yes. Uh, uh, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So they had left one place uh, where they were being uh, you know, persecuted because they... Uh, they, they, um, they wanted to use them despitefully and even stone them. Verse 5, they were aware that that was what was want, uh, desired to be done. And so they, they went to this place, Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the what? There they preached the gospel. There they preached the gospel. The word, uh, well, well, we'll move on. I've got something to tell you, but I'll tell you in a minute. 
There they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, that's the name of the place, impotent in his feet, meaning his feet didn't work, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. So we have the picture. Here's this guy who, uh, until Paul came along, had never, uh, never walked a step in his life, as we would say. He'd been in this condition all his life. And uh, he didn't know all about the gospel. He wasn't a Jew. Uh, so he wouldn't have known all about the Old Testament, much less the gospel. And so he's beginning to hear about it for the very first time. And verse 9 says, The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him. So Paul looked directly at him and perceiving, that's Paul perceived, that he, the crippled man, had faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, you wonder why sometimes we have to get loud? Sometimes it's just necessary. Now, it's not necessary unless it's necessary. And when it is necessary, it's necessary. And if you walk in the Spirit, you'll just know when. <laughs> Amen. He said with a loud voice, what did he say? Stand upright on thy feet. He asked him to do something he had never done in his life. He asked him to do something that was physically, naturally impossible. What Paul was saying would require a miracle from God. It would require power to fix what was wrong with this man and give him immediately, simultaneously, the ability to stand up, which he had never done. Well, you know, if you're a parent or a grandparent, that when a little baby begins to walk, it's a struggle for them to stand up. And standing up is a big accomplishment. And standing up goes before the stepping and the stepping and the walking. It's a, it's a, it's a drawn-out process, and we celebrate that though every step along the way, of course, as parents. But here, this man had no uh, time to train, there was no practice. It was just a command to do something he had never done in his life. So it was going to take power, the other side of that equation, to make this happen. And it says, and he leaped and walked. Never been taught to walk, never walked before, never leaped before. But the power of God enabled him to do what he'd never been able to do. How many of you believe that the same God that did this for this man, this unnamed man, would heal your body? Can do anything you need done as well? He is the same, you know, yesterday, today, and forevermore. Hallelujah. So Paul perceived that the man had faith. How did he do that? Well, I'm sure that it was a spiritual thing he just knew. You know, spiritually, you can know things. And you can't explain how you know it. Just things you know spiritually. Some of you, you know, there are times in our meetings, you just know there's going to be some kind of utterance in the Holy Ghost. It might be tongues with interpretation, or it might be a, a prophecy that comes forth, but you just know that that's going to happen. 
You know certain things. And then, of course, it can get even more in-depth and detail and certain gifts of the Spirit can operate like the word of knowledge until you know something that you wouldn't have any ability to know any other way except the Holy Ghost showed you or told you. Paul perceived that this man had faith. And one of the reasons that I want to uh, belabor the point a little bit is because I want to point out to you that for Paul to perceive this, he had to be in the Spirit. He had to be moving in the spiritual dimension. Now, if Paul could perceive faith, then it's logical to assume that Satan, who is a spirit being, would know when he hears and sees faith as well. Observing humans for six millenniums, seeing what people do when they're moving in faith, and hearing what people say when they are moving in faith, Satan perceives it as well. So you see, we're not trying to impress God per se. And we're certainly not trying to change God's mind or his will in any issue. That's not going to happen anyway. But what we are trying to do is to demonstrate our faith to the point that even the devil would know it and he has to let go. Now, I want to go back and, and, um, and, and point out something else about this passage. Verse 7 says, There they preached the gospel. <coughs> now, where would this man get faith? Remember, Paul perceived he had faith to be healed. How would he have faith to be healed if Paul hadn't preached healing? If our premise based on Romans 10, 17 is true, and it is, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, this man could not have had faith for healing if Paul had not included it in his message. And the key is, the answer is, that word gospel. That word gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The word power there is the Greek word dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. It is the word we get the English word dynamite from. This is the same word that Jesus used in Acts 1-8 when he said, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Now, this power of God unto salvation <coughs> it's me <clears throat> anyway the power of God unto salvation makes us understand or makes, us, makes me want to know what really is salvation if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and Paul preached the gospel and there was faith that came from the gospel to heal this man then I want to know about this gospel. And I want to know about salvation. So the word salvation here is translated also rescue, or from the word for rescue, deliver. It includes safety, 
And it includes moral or physical health. It could be translated save and saving. Now let me cover some of those words again. Salvation, rescue, deliver, safety, moral or physical health, save and saving. This word salvation is an all-inclusive term. Salvation includes everything that the fall brought with it. Another, no, I don't want to say it that way. What I mean is salvation delivers us from everything the fall brought with it. Everything the devil has brought, salvation is there to counteract and to set aside. Amen. So it's safety, you know, and it's health. It's saving, it's deliverance, it's an all-inclusive term. And so what I want you to understand is the reason that faith is so important in this whole uh, miracle equation is because if you don't hear the gospel, you'll never be able to have faith for the miraculous power of God to operate for you. And so many dear, precious people of God go week after week and month after month and year after year and they hear sermons and nobody ever tells them the fullness of the gospel. Nobody tells them what that word really means. And so many things and many messages in the church world are spiritualized. I grew up in a church like that. I grew up in a church where there was a lot of preaching from the gospels. And praise God for preaching from the gospels. You can't go wrong there. But in almost every situation where they used an account of divine healing, they almost always spiritualized it. They would acknowledge, for instance, that, that somebody got healed, that they actually were healed, but they never preached it to us that you too can be physically healed. They would spiritualize it, and they would, they would talk about sin sickness, and if you get healed from your sin sickness, that's getting saved and getting right with God, and you're going to go to heaven and that kind of thing. Well, I want to tell you, you don't have to spiritualize all the gospels. You don't have to spiritualize the good parts. You can believe God. He still does miracles. You can believe him. He still, he still heals the sick. Faith. Faith. It all depends on what you hear. Amen. And then the second part of that equation is power. And as I said, this word power, it means the self-energizing and explosive power of God himself. That's what dunamis is. It's self-energizing power. It never runs down. You know, we have batteries and all kinds of things in our lives today, from our phones to even this uh, microphone I'm speaking through. There's a battery connected to it. These microphones we sing into, they're batteries. I mean, there's battery. You wouldn't believe how many batteries we use around here in the course of a year. And thank God for them. But they run down. This power that we're talking about never depletes. You, never, you don't even need a, a, a gauge to tell you if it's good or not. You know, if you have a battery-powered toothbrush, you, you know that feeling when it's, just a, it's time to replace the battery. Uh, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but that never happens with this power. It never happens. It's the same power that the Holy Spirit brought in His fullness at Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit 
the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, when he moved in to indwell the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood-bought, redeemed body of Christ, when the Holy Spirit moved in to empower the church and indwell the church, he brought this kind of power into our lives. And if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you do if you're born again, and if you're spirit-filled, you're, you're, you're full to overflowing with him, then the same power that fell at Pentecost, even the same power according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you. If you believe that the Holy Spirit could raise the dead body of Jesus that had been slain with our sins and sicknesses and became a curse with our curse when he bore all of that in his own body on the tree. If you believe that God could raise the body of Jesus from the dead, which is the greatest demonstration of power in all the universe, greater than creation, greater than anything, is when God raised Jesus from the dead and he completely and fully paid the total price that we owed for our sins to be remitted and for a new creation to be available and for the righteousness of God to be available to people like you and me. The greatest miracle ever was done by the work of the Holy Spirit in raising Jesus from the dead. If you really believe that, why would we have any problem in the world believing that he could fix something in our knee or something in our hand or something in our head or wherever it might be that we're having a problem? This is self-energizing, explosive power. And it's the power the Holy Ghost brought in fullness at Pentecost. It's not a different spirit and not a different power than what Jesus operated in while he was here upon the earth. Do you know Acts 10, 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And what did he do with that power? He went about doing good and healing. All that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So our healing and our miracle is not in the flesh. It's not by walking after natural things. It's not based on our emotions or our feelings. It's not based on statistics and circumstances and symptoms. But our healing is based on God's Word and the God who's inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we touch the power of God in many ways. I mean, there are a number of ways that it can be done. Laying on of hands is one of the ways it's done. We touch the power of God even when a room is charged with that power as people worship God in spirit and in truth. We pray the power down, so to speak, when we pray effectually and fervently. The, the power of God can be translated by touch, the laying on of hands. There are various ways that the power of God can be ministered. And that's why as a church we want to do all of these things. We want to create an atmosphere of worship and praise where God's Spirit comes down. And it's just fine with me if somebody gets healed, somebody gets touched, somebody gets changed, and we don't even have to touch them. Or we don't even have to pray a prayer. That's fine with me. Any way God wants to do it. But we're open too for the laying on of hands. We're open for prayer meetings and prayer times and worship times where we, we just get into the presence of God and His power comes. Now, you know, you can have the power in your house. You can have the power 
of God in your bedroom. You could have it when you're out praying. You have it come into your car. Many of you have experienced God's power in a number of places and a number of ways. But I'm telling you, if you want the supernatural manifested, you've got to put those two things together. Faith and power equals miracles. And so when we read the Bible and we look at these various uh, cases of healing and how these people were healed, if you look long enough and you look deeply enough, you study it, meditate it, you realize that in all these cases, these are the two common denominators. And neither of these things is kept from us. This wasn't just something for this one guy at Lystra in Acts 14. It wasn't just something that happened when Jesus was on the earth or when Paul or John or the Apostle Peter was on the earth. This is available today. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. If 